Hello, and welcome. You're listening to the Six Degrees podcast, where we will have candid discussions about some of the most pressing healthcare technology topics with industry thought leaders. Each episode contains powerful lessons to help you lead the digital revolution taking place in our increasingly complex healthcare ecosystem. This is episode six, Leveraging Data as a Strategic Asset. I'm Kevin Baldwin, a professor and healthcare technologist, and I'm joined by data strategist and healthcare expert, Albert Duntugan. Today, we'll explore how our listeners can leverage big data to help their organization stay competitive in today's rapidly evolving healthcare landscape. Before we begin, let me take this opportunity to introduce Albert, who serves as the Chief Data Officer for UCLA Health. In this role, he is responsible for the ethical and strategic deployment of the organization's data assets across a diverse range of specializations, including clinical quality, biomedical informatics, finance, and operations. He has over 20 years of experience in healthcare at UCLA Health. Prior to his role in information technology, he served in leadership positions in finance and operations with a concentration on physician revenue cycle, managed care operations, commercial and regulatory pay for performance programs, and practice operations. Albert received his Bachelor of Science in Biology from Loyola Marymount University and a Master of Health Administration degree from the University of Southern California. Welcome, Albert, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. Let's start with the elephant in the room, COVID-19. In early 2020, the entire world was thrown into chaos and reliable data became paramount as business leaders tried to respond to the various threats of the virus. What was it like being in a position of authority responsible for the data stewardship of UCLA Health's massive clinical enterprise? Uh, yes, last March was definitely a trying time for us. Uh, in addition to uh, the issues specific to our data world, just having to manage the workforce through that uh, was quite a uh, new experience for us, having everyone work remotely, making sure that they can access our uh, PHI data and other valuable data assets in a secure manner, uh, keeping collaboration running. So uh, just after figuring out how to get those fundamentals down, um, it just started a new way of work and um, uh, a new slew of projects that popped up that uh, were connected to trying to find that cure to COVID, trying to uh, see if there's any research that could be done within the health sciences to help support that. And also dealing with the operations of having so many infections around us, uh, making sure that our clinics, our hospital uh, were set up in a way that could handle that kind of load. A lot of that caused uh, quite a bit of work for us uh, within our uh, data group, but um, I'm glad that we were able to overcome it, I'd say in a number of ways. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. So after the initial jolt of the virus subsided, what organizational data priorities arose for you? Well, uh, I must say that even with that jolt that uh, dealing with COVID has been uh, an ongoing thing that's been hitting us in waves. So um, we originally had our 
set of priorities for the year 2020 uh had this uh nice slogan around it where we'd have 2020 vision 2020 clarity uh around what we wanted to do but it obviously didn't work out that way and uh 2020 became a uh, a terrible <laughs> uh, kind of year. So uh, we continue to do, deal with the repercussions of COVID. Uh, in the early days, it was just figuring out how to work properly, how to uh, keep our business uh, running with uh, just seeing the plummet in ambulatory visits and seeing that transition to telehealth. Uh, what was quite the wave dealing with the infections over the summer, um, having that subside and then turn into the explosion that we saw over the winter. So, uh, you know, to this day, we continue to deal uh, with um, uh, the enormous work related to deploying the vaccines. Uh, and um, I can see that we're settling into this uh, kind of uh, happier state where we're beyond that, the peaks that we saw over the recent months. But um, I'm, I would not be surprised if we have to deal with something like that again. Uh, in terms of other issues that are facing us though, uh, uh, we need to continue to march forward, uh, getting our data platform, the systems by which we access our data uh, up to speed and making sure they're cutting edge in a position where we can support research and big data use cases. Uh, that's always been ongoing for us. Uh, we continue to have to meet regulatory requirements around quality and patient safety and uh, just sustaining operations. Uh, you know, I just alluded to the transition from regular inpatient visits in the ambulatory, uh, in-person visits uh, in the ambulatory uh, clinics and having to transition that out to uh, telehealth has been massive, but we still have that same kind of thing that we have to deal with in the inpatient setting as well where now that uh, we came out of a year where uh, during a number of months we could not take in elective cases, uh, we had to make sure that there was enough capacity in our hospital to uh, deal with uh, slews of infections. Um, that meant that there were certain revenue streams that weren't available to us and uh, certain care that we could not provide. So uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, health services research that's taking place to see if there was an impact uh, to the population uh, um, that, that we did not uh, suspect. So that continues all to be front burner for us. Wow, what, what a year, what a, what a whirlwind. So let's take a step back. You have a very unique background with over 20 years of experience working in healthcare finance, operations, and most recently technology. How have your non-IT roles helped you succeed in your technology roles and vice versa? Uh, I'd say that spending time outside of technology prior to coming into IT was very helpful. Um, to the business, I'd say that their appreciation of technology is more in what they see that's material in front of them. A laptop, a PC with the EHR screens on it or having data available through a portal. Uh, but ultimately to the business, what they'll appreciate are things that are happening in operations and finance that maybe a technologist won't appreciate if they haven't been there. So just having come up uh, in my career uh, by being in positions where I had to care about looking at finance statements, looking at the bottom line, 
how to optimize uh, revenue capture, um, how to uh, make sure that uh, patients were uh, being taken care of in our population health initiatives. Those kinds of business side things have informed how I see IT today in my uh, role uh, over the last seven years as I've uh, um, transitioned to this new space. Brilliant. And now you're the chief data officer at UCLA Health. And this is a, a relatively new role for the organization and, and for the industry. How did it come about and how do you think this role might evolve in the future? Yeah, I'd say that in healthcare, uh, since I've been around a while, um, data in and of itself definitely wasn't uh, valued as that. It was more seen as a, an asset that would be useful for a particular uh, service line uh, vertical. So uh, back in the day, the CFO would have their decision support group, uh, a quality officer may have had uh, some person in the back who'd help them put together Excel files or cranking out data on some access database. But because of the prominence of IT, where we've been able to reduce the expense around how much it costs to get uh, uh, data uh, in a form where it's uh, meaningful available to us. And certainly because of the explosion of electronic medical records and just having so much data around, it's made this role necessary and possible. Uh, so, uh, and it's opened up a lot of opportunities for those of us who in the past came from say those smaller silos and uh, gave us a career path to uh, see a space where everything has been put together for us uh, to enable multiple verticals, not just uh, one particular one. Um, in the uh, uh, immediate time after the EHR incentive program and when EMRs became more um, uh, uh, rampant and um, uh, expanding all across uh, the healthcare provider space, uh, I'd say the CDO role still wasn't quite uh, there, it was still seen more as a thing for a CIO to deal with or an informatics officer, whether uh, physician oriented or nursing oriented. But uh, at least five years out uh, from that, those EMR times, uh, it matured to a place where I'd say in the last six years, six or seven years, that the CDO role uh, gained its importance. Um, now, the, note that the, the CDO concept uh, is something that grew not just in healthcare, but from finance and, uh, and uh, uh, other industries. And so in a sense, healthcare has leveraged off of those experiences with amazon.com and e-commerce and all of these things matured and became the new normal. Uh, those lessons were fed into healthcare, and we've been able to uh, reap the rewards and efforts uh, from those other lines. Going into the future, though, uh, I'd say uh, it continues to progress uh, because now that we know what's possible with basic EHR data, we're expanding that to other sources of data that were deemed maybe a little too harder to get to. So say the unstructured data that you get from an EKG or uh, the unstructured data that you get from looking at the human genome. These were not typically the, the types of data that you'd manipulate uh, if, if um, say 15, 20 years ago. Uh, there was some, say a more specialized 
kind of team that would uh, be in charge of that. But now that uh, we've developed the skill in our industry and uh, the capacity to do this, uh, it's opened up a new door where we're able to mesh all of this together. And so that definitely is uh, something that we uh, in this field are focused on and trying to uh, find solutions to make uh, possible. Hmm, thank you. So let's talk about service management for a moment, and maybe in particular, the, uh, the delivery of high quality IT services. Um, in your role, how do you ensure your team is delivering the best customer service to the organization and all of the stakeholders, you know, our, our providers, our administrators, and even patients? Yeah, uh, I think in, in just thinking about that question, one would immediately think about what are my team's capabilities? Uh, what is the product that we provide? Um, uh, is that product something that the stakeholders need? Uh, what are the expectations around its use and the services around that? So those are the kinds of uh, questions and topics that pop up. In traditional IT service management, we typically think of vendor products like ServiceNow. We think of service uh, line agreements, turnaround times, that sort of thing. And that certainly applies to our space as well. But there is this... Uh, creative aspect to it. Uh, looking at data is not the same as, say, uh, setting expectations around the delivery of your laptop. So um, there's a challenge on us in our space to try to describe what a data product is. Uh, people will typically think of a report, a dashboard, maybe a feed of data from one application to another. And uh, so that's certainly part of it. Uh, so uh, just going with those examples, we, uh, we in our field continue to leverage the same types of IT service management principles that are used in the typical technology space. Uh, we'll have a team of operations people who are at the ready taking in those ServiceNow tickets, uh, dealing with um, uh, setting up those relationships with stakeholders on those tickets, uh, trying to figure out what the needs are and then creating a product out of that. Uh, what makes, uh, I'd say, our uh, field a little more challenging is that the ready uh, assets uh, to provide those services may not necessarily be in that state that you'd expect. So uh, for example, if you're waiting for a laptop, um, someone in IT service management would be thinking about what is the pipeline of laptops coming in uh, from my vendors, Apple and, and Lenovo and beyond. In the data space, it's a little different. Uh, we have raw data uh, in a form coming in from different applications, and there's a set of uh, transformation steps that are needed to take that and make it in a readier state. So say if someone were to ask, I'm looking to see for uh, a number of our COPD patients, how many of them are there? When did they last come in? I want to see our vulnerability um, for those patients uh, to COVID. Um, uh, how can I get that? Someone would have had to define, how do you identify a COPD patient? Do you do it by relying on ICD-10 diagnosis codes? Do you rely on um, those codes entered in through the professional billing revenue cycle, the hospital billing cycle? Do you use a problem list that a physician uh, or nurse is uh, using as they intake a patient and where they're entering this and, and mm -hmm. keeping that content updated? There are implications for using all of those different sources and uh, that 
can alter your trust in that set of data as an asset. So um, uh, those are the nuances that we try to hide uh, mm -hmm. from the stakeholders, but um, we try to we struggle in trying to figure out to what extent should we be involving them in the development of that versus uh, giving them that as a product based on uh, work that other teams have done. Hmm. Interesting. And you bring up this this related concept of data as a service, and you were reminded me to ask about uh, self-service analytics. Could you maybe give an example of, of what that is and, and how you've deployed it at UCLA? Uh, good question. Uh, so there's this idea that uh, there are infinite number of requests. If we were to enable stakeholders to uh, figure out uh, their own questions and develop answers to their uh, questions by giving them access to a data platform, that that would relieve our core set of resources from having to do those requests themselves. And that would help to democratize data and uh, enable uh, its diffusion across the enterprise. So the way we make that happen is by providing stakeholders that ability to come into our uh, to our space, we give them a technology product, say Tableau dashboarding or uh, Microsoft PI, uh, BI Power uh, Power BI uh, tools, and they're able to create their own dashboards to write their own reports by by using these very uh, beautiful tools that are easy to use with drag and drop functionality. Um, in order to give them data to create those dashboards, though, we need to give them analytics-ready data sets. So that touches on what I just mentioned earlier mm -hmm. uh, with that COVID and COPD example. If, say, we wanted to know how many of our patients have cancer and for a given type of cancer, is it someone seen by our hemonc physicians or someone um, uh, coming in? Uh, through our uh, breast cancer centers, uh, how do we identify those patients? If we delegate that kind of uh, decision-making to normal, uh, what we call citizen data scientists, that might be too much for them to handle. They wouldn't know the intricacies about um, diagnosis codes, problem lists. Right. Uh, if we wanted to say how many of these patients got radiology exams, how many of them are getting radiation oncology interventions, do we really want to educate them on uh, current procedural terminology and, and how that works? Right, maybe, yeah. maybe not. So this is where uh, in our space we have to build up those Lego blocks, those building blocks that allow the stakeholders to do a drag and drop into their tools and where we have to provide a catalog so that if they're curious and they want to see, well, what determined that this person were a breast cancer patient, that yeah. there's a nice narrative on that, that some technical writer is doing that bridge between what our stakeholders understand versus what our development team understands. Great, thank you. So I want to shift gears a little bit and, and address a topic that's gotten a lot of buzz in the, the news the last couple of years, and that's the topic of artificial intelligence, or AI for short, and machine learning, or, or ML for short. Um, until recently, these topics were really perceived as futuristic concepts, and uh, only now have they become mainstream enough, and, and there's been enough buying into you know, uh, AI and, and ML, um, that business leaders are no longer asking why should they invest in these technologies, but rather how and when. 
What advice do you have in regards to the effective implementation of AI and ML in the healthcare organization? Yeah, this is where there's definitely a lot of excitement and buzz. Right. And setting expectations is really important. Uh, what drives a lot of the uh, fun and spirit around this is just uh, when people experience AI in their normal life, when they use their iPhone, when they talk to their Alexa device, all of that is powered by some kind of machine learning algorithm. And there's this expectation that we're able to apply those same kinds of techniques to the delivery of healthcare. Now, um, because healthcare is so uh, wide, there are so many areas where we can introduce it. In operations, we can introduce predictive algorithms so that maybe you can predict whether patients coming in for surgery that day will have an adverse event where you'll have to have uh, certain teams ready to uh, run an intervention. Uh, maybe in operations on the ambulatory side, we have to come up with an algorithm to predict for all of the patients who are scheduled today, what's the likelihood that a number of them will be no-shows? Is there an opportunity to double book uh, for some of the rooms so that we don't have a situation where we are paying uh, an expensive lease and, ex uh, and an expensive right. set of uh, healthcare workers uh, for um, uh, sitting around because that patient did not come in. Uh, so, so those are, uh, say, some of those operational uh, questions. Uh, some people may think of machine learning on the clinical side. Uh, we have a use case at UCLA where, uh, given the COVID situation, uh, there's quite a bit of work on uh, among our pul uh, pulmonology uh, group where they're having to uh, look at chest x-rays to uh, see if a line or tube was inserted in the right place. Maybe AI can help out to uh, confirm the placement of those devices to make sure hmm. they're in the right place so that no adverse right. effect happens. So that's where we're talking about uh, technology that can uh, take an image and actually see it as if a human would. Uh, confirm, yes, this is the device. Uh, this is where it's going, uh, uh, given the anatomy of the human body. So um, it's not easy to give a simple answer to that. We have to define, well, what is exactly that use case? What domain of healthcare are we talking yeah. about? Finance, operations, clinical research, and uh, what is the likelihood of success? Who would be the stakeholders involved? What's the resource input into that? Um, I'd say that the trust level uh, in these algorithms uh, varies depending on uh, what the use case is. When the use case is um, in an area where there's not as much risk, say uh, maybe for those operations cases where you're predicting when a patient will discharge from, from a hospital room, maybe that's okay to uh, have AI flourish there because the risk that someone is going to die maybe not uh, is not going to be very high, uh, so so that's considered acceptable. But when it comes to these clinical use cases where uh, you're uh, in a sense uh, emulating what a medical device would do, now you're talking about where we need a lot more eyes involved. Right. There's compliance and there are FDA implications and there are other steps and processes that we need to engage in. But um, I'd say that the excitement in this space is something that's welcome. It 
uh, gives us great hope that there's a lot of innovation that's possible to achieve what we want with the quadruple aim that mm -hmm. we talk about in all sectors of healthcare. And uh, um, uh, it definitely inspires people uh, who are either coming out straight out of school or who are hopping in from other industries. It inspires them to come join the healthcare workforce and help us solve these intractable problems. Yeah, it's very complex. And, and just in, in listening to you speak about that question, your um, business, your operational and financial background definitely add a lot of value to that conversation because you truly do understand the business objectives and the mission and vision and values of, of the organization. So um, very, very exciting. And I'm glad to hear all of the significant progress you've been making. So um, outside of AI and, and ML, what healthcare technology trend are you most excited about in the next 12 to 24 months, let's say? Um, so I'd say that we, for healthcare, where there's a lot of it, um, uh, resistance to taking on new things in terms of technology, because uh, we don't want to take on too much risk because we don't want to harm people. Uh, but uh, one area where we're catching up with other industries would be in our adoption of cloud technologies. So this is where instead of relying on our uh, what we call on-premise hardware, what we place in our data centers, uh, where there's a limitation as to how much space there is and how much hardware we can afford, we can instead leverage the same technologies invented by uh, Amazon and Microsoft, where they have these very, very large data centers with a uh, effectively infinite amount of compute and storage for us to access. Uh, just for us to say, add new hardware to our data center could take a year. You have to order the hardware. It has to be shipped over from some foreign country. We need a number of teams to rack and sack this. Instead, with the advent of the cloud, we can provision that quickly uh, with a number of clicks with our mouse. Now, that's the vision. Uh, to some extent, that is definitely happening in other industries. But in healthcare, it happens uh, much more slowly because uh, of the risk uh, in our field. Uh, namely, it's around having to protect our data, uh, protected health information. We really need to make sure that these systems are secure. So there's quite a bit of compliance work, risk assessment, IT security that's involved to make sure that our data is safe and sound in these spaces. And that definitely slows our adoption, but uh, things are moving at um, uh, still uh, quite a progressive pace. And uh, just trying to make sure that we, we in this uh, technology field are on top of uh, the components of technology that are needed to drive it is definitely a challenge for us. Um, I'd say that when you look outside of healthcare at the other industries, there are, there's a, a typical thing where we'll say that they're always 10 years ahead, five years ahead. Right where they get to use the bleeding edge uh, practices and techniques and we can't. But uh, that's because we need to use tried and true systems. We cannot have our electronic medical record crash on us in the middle of a surgery. Right. There, there's just too, too much in that. Uh, whereas say maybe in other cases, it's okay. They'll just throw it away. Uh, once data leaves our walls and is stolen, 
uh, that's it. <laughs> there's no going back yeah. from that. So that's why there is so much upfront work to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. But I'm excited that we're in a place where we're getting to adopt that same exotic technology and make it happen for our space. Wow. So cloud computing, but within the uh, the confines of a, a very practical approach to actually implementing it and, and protecting the data while it's at rest and in transit uh, between you know different uh, locations. So very yes. very fascinating. And it helps to power all of the wonderful AI use yeah. cases that that we mentioned. Prior That's true. To, That's true. They, it uh, goes hand in hand. Yes, absolutely. Good, good. Thank you. So now we're we're only have a few minutes left. So I wanted to. Um, close with a, a few questions uh, to give our, our listeners some advice from, from you. Um, first and foremost, you know, being in a position where you have a, a good vantage point of, of what's happening in the industry and, and where the industry is going, what would you say is the, the top data analytics skill that you would recommend our listeners learn today so they can be effective leaders tomorrow? Yeah, that's a tough question because there are so many exciting spaces. Right. So maybe I'll answer it in a practical way. I think a lot of people want to come into this field and they're probably, what should I do? Should I get a focus, do a focus study on data science in school? Uh, should I come in through the business side and make a jump over? And I'd say there are, uh, both paths are available. Um, but a, what's core to our field uh, if you want to be directly in the eye of the storm, is really to appreciate that there are programming skills that are required. You, you really need to have those skills necessary to manipulate data. Uh, that could be the SQL programming language, the Python programming language. So, so there's that aspect. And then there's also an appreciation of when the when how this data uh, manifests itself, how it ultimately comes from electronic health records and, and other systems. So um, uh, I'd say that for the programs that uh, the audience of this podcast are uh, are involved in, that definitely they're they're coming up through the right space to have that generalist point of view. I did not study programming or IT as the core uh, of my formal education. I picked it up after I got into the workforce. And that's, I think, how things are gonna continue to be. Uh, in order for the people, uh, the stakeholders to appreciate data, I mentioned earlier that data in and of itself doesn't have value to them. It's the context within which the data is used. So that's why that generalist mentality is, uh, is still required. And for those, students who are in organizations now and that they're having to manage uh, data to make it useful for what they do. There is a, a certain level of data literacy that they need to invest in. What does it mean when this data has been made available to them? If they're working in finance or operations and someone from IT gave them this data, uh, how can I trust it? Where did you get it from? Uh, who were the people saying the chain of custody of that data who hmm. uh, weighed in to have this represent the admission of a patient into um, uh, one of our hospital floors. So it's something that uh, I think if those in, in those non-IT spaces, if they scratch the surface and dig in a little uh, better, it would, it'll help them uh, set them on a path to be a better partner for those in IT so that we can continue to 
create this body of knowledge that's considered a strategic asset for, for an enterprise because we have these different stakeholders weighing in on the content beyond those in IT. Wow, that was was fantastic and, and very useful uh, feedback for our audience. One maybe particular uh, point you made that I just wanted to rephrase and, and reiterate is that data in and of itself is not valuable. Data only becomes valuable when it's uh, used in a, a meaningful context. So I think that that's very important to, to understand. So um, in, in closing, any, any parting thoughts or, or key takeaways, advice you might have for uh, our listeners who you know, want to you know, use data in, in meaningful ways in their organizations? Yeah, I, I'd say to maintain a lot of curiosity that uh, whether you're in IT or on the outside, that uh, as these tools make themselves known uh, to you in your careers, no doubt you will uh, run into, say, a BI visualization tool like a Tableau or a Click or a Microsoft Power BI. No doubt that you will have to ask for data and uh, it may be available to you already in reports embedded in your electronic health record. If you're at Kaiser on Epic or uh, at LA County Department of Health uh, using Cerner, the same concepts will apply. And uh, in order to have a more enterprise view of things, think of how uh, that, although that reporting specific to your role uh, is something that you can consume readily and uh, take action on for your role. Know that uh, if you were to try to connect yourselves across to other stakeholders in different verticals, how ultimately that data is coming from one pool of knowledge. And anything you can do to create connections to those other stakeholders uh, across the business lines or out to IT, that will help your organization continue to use data as a strategic asset. Spot on, Albert. Well, thank you so much for your time, for, for sharing your wisdom and, and for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and, and learning more about the strategic nature of data and, and healthcare and, and how you've uh, capitalized on, uh, on that data today. Um, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to the Six Degrees podcast. We hope you enjoyed the candid conversation with Albert today and will leverage data as a strategic asset in your own organizations down the line. That's all for this episode. See everyone next time.